I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, we have actor, master craftsman, Rudy Darmalingam. He's incredible, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I have been struggling to book that first thing and feeling sorry for myself and we're here to talk about Rudy's new show Wakefield which is on Showtime right now and it's incredible he's done other things like Hamlet with Benedict Cumberbatch and many other amazing projects but he gets really candid in this interview about the struggle and how long it took him and all the persistence and the ability to keep showing up and it's something we all need to be reminded of because you know the job is is showing up the gig is the vacation and I am so grateful to Rudy I enjoyed this chat so much and I really needed to hear it myself I hope you guys feel the same way Rudy I love you brother you're the future. I believe in you through and through. All right, guys, here it is. Rudy Darmalingam, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, man? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Man, uh, it's Wakefield is, you know, what what we're here to talk about. And I haven't seen a show this vastly dense and just like such rich and and true characters. And I mean, I kind of thought short term 12 had the market cornered on, on that, but like, this is, this is the best thing I've ever seen, man. It's like, wow. (laughs) It's just so human. And I know that's like the goal of any piece of television or film, but I feel like it so rarely happens because things need to be cinematic or dramatic. And this is just, I mean, it could be a documentary in some ways. It's just so authentic. And there's not one person who, who, who you know, no, no matter how 
much they're on screen misses the boat. It's just incredible, man. I mean, yeah, and, and your work as Nick is outstanding. I mean, thank, thank you, you, dude. I thank you. Remember me when you're at the Oscars, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's very kind of you. Very sweet of you. Thank you. But uh, if it's cool with you, before we we speak about the project, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I I grew up in, uh, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not Australian. Which you Um, know? (laughs) (laughs) So um, obviously, if you see, if the guys listening to this or watching this have seen Wakefield, they might be, I suppose, quite surprised to to know that I'm not, uh, I'm not an Aussie. I'm I'm very much... um, a British actor and I was born in a um quite a small town called Maidstone in Kent okay um and yeah I mean it was quite um it was it was a fairly primitive kind of town although it's only about 40 miles away from London but it wasn't a it wasn't a particularly uh creative town um it was quite it, it was quite run down and it was a it's a fairly working class kind of town um, but I certainly wasn't surrounded by creativity or, you know, artistry or, or anything like that. Really. What are your parents, what, what did they do or do they do? What- yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was a radiographer. He actually was training to be a doctor, but he ran out of money. Wow. Uh, he came from Sri Lanka. He, he, was from, he was born in Sri Lanka and he, he came, to, um, came to England to train. He ran out of money and, and he couldn't complete his, his doctor training. So he, he became a radiographer and, my, and, then, and that was where he met my mum. So my mum was, was a nurse. She was actually, she, she, my mum was from Trinidad in wow. the West Indies. But she, it's, it's really interesting because there's, there's, a, um, there's a massive population of Indian Trinis in Trinidad. So in Trinidad, there is the majority are actually Indian Trinis and the rest are Afro-Caribbean, which a lot of people are actually very surprised to know. So when I speak to people and they say to me, oh, where are your, where are your parents from? I say, you know, oh, my dad was from Sri Lanka. And they go, oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense because your name is, is very Sri Lankan, Dharmalingam. That's yeah. a very Sri Lankan name. Um, and then I say, oh, well, my mum my was from Trinidad. And they go, oh, Trinidad. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you know that there's a huge population of Indian Trinidadians um, that have settled there for generations? Have you been to both places? I I, I have been to Trinidad quite a few times. I've been like five or six times, um, but I've never been to Sri Lanka. Wow. Yeah. We'll have to go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to go there. So basically my mum was, um, she is one of 10. She was one of 10. Wow siblings yeah they, amazing you never see um, that anymore that's amazing no, man. yeah she was one your of christmases ten. must be insane <laughs> well there's so many people in my family that i don't know um so all the trini side all the trinidadian side there's hundreds of them, literally hundreds of them and most of them i don't know i, I lost my dad when i was quite young so oh, my sorry. dad's died. i don't i don't know my dad's side at all yeah. Um, so that's a bit of a mystery. It's a bit of a sort of a missing identity for me. So I have more of a connection with with the Trini side, with the West Indian side, than I do with the Asian side, if that makes sense. I feel yeah. more West Indian, more Trinidadian, more Caribbean than I do Asian. But yeah, I'm born here. So I've always had a bit of a 
an identity crisis, I suppose. Um, but my mum, my mum came. She was the first person to leave Trinidad out of all of her signals. She was the first one to leave Trinidad to um, to for another country to, to get to board a plane. Um, and the only way that they were able to actually afford the airfare was if my granddad, so my mum's dad, sold a cow. Wow. So my dad, so my granddad, my mum's dad sold a cow in order to pay for the airfare. Yeah. Um, and that paid for, yeah. And, and then she came to England and she met my father and she made me and made my brother. And yeah, so I have a very medical background. <laughs> That's amazing, man. I, I, I'm so curious, you know, talk to me with parents like that. Where, where did the arts start to seep into your life? Like what was the beginnings of of your journey like what was the impetus so i grew up my brother was my brother's seven years older than me and um he 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 i think he very much inherited my father's academia interesting so he was a he was a high flyer he was very good at maths very good at science very good at sort of anything academic and I always struggled in those areas. I was okay. I was fine. I could do it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't an underachiever in any way in that area. I, I just sort of, you know, I was, um, I sort of coasted along. But I suppose I was always looking for my calling, as you do, as all of us growing up, you're looking for that one thing that yeah. sparks your creativity and it sparks your imagination and, you know, fulfill, you know, fills your life with joy and, and you can't wait to do that one thing, you know. And, and I, found, I found that quite early on. When I was about seven years old, I, I started playing table tennis. And um, I remember I got home from school. It was one of my first week at primary school. And I said to my mum, can I, can I play table tennis? There's a table tennis club on a Saturday. And she was a bit like, she was a bit, okay, yeah, okay, you can go yeah. along. It's quite quite random you know normally it's football or cricket or athletics yeah. uh so i went along and, and i i really uh, it was uh, yeah it became a real passion for me and um and i spent 10 years up until the age of about 17 traveling all over the country oh so you were forrest gump um, <laughs> yeah and yeah. I, you know what I did, you know what? It's interesting you should say that because whenever I watch, when I watch Forrest Gump and I see that scene when he's playing yeah. table tennis, and I'm everyone's everyone's just oh my god, it's amazing! Oh, it's so amazing! Look at the way he's playing table tennis. And I'm like, well, it's not real. You can yeah, see it's not. They real. added it in CGI, it's not, right? It's not, <laughs> I was like, no, but it's not a technical stroke. Technically, yeah. it's all wrong. <laughs> That's so funny that they didn't even yeah. choreograph it. They just let them make it yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that that became my. That became my um, outlet, really, for 10 years. And I, I would, you know, play three or four times a week and tournaments. And I was number two in my county and number 50 in England. And, you know, and, and that, was, that, was, um, that, was, that was really my, my, my main passion, really, um, outside. Yeah, that was my... That was my uh, Did it fulfill outlet. you? Like when you were there competing, you, you loved it and you felt great about it? I loved it. I loved it so much. And, and my coach my table tennis coach who is unfortunately uh at the moment in a nursing home in england and he's he i think he must be about 90 now and he's got very serious he's got dementia and um 
and it kind of I, I'm going to go and see him fairly soon. Um, but he he very much taught me, along with my dad, he taught me a work ethic. He taught me a structure and a discipline. He said to me, Rudy, go home every night, 500 forehands, 500 backhands in front of the mirror. And I did that religiously for years. Religiously, I do 500 forehands, 500 backhands. Wow. And as I suppose that, um, that, uh, that those two big disciplinarians in my life, very early on in my life, very much structured um, my, my pathway into, into acting. And it got to the age, I got to the age of about 16 and I realized, hey, I'm not going to earn a living out of this because, you know, I, I just wasn't as good as the top guys. So I was looking for that other thing. And I was always doing impressions as a kid. I was always doing impressions and silly voices. And, you know, I was always the jester amongst the family, I suppose. Growing up in the UK, were you aware of theater and the history? Like, did you ever go to shows or? Not at all. Not at all. Um, oh. I think the first show that I went to see was probably when I was about 15. And I went to see, uh, it was a school trip. We went to see Joseph uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat um, okay. in London. Um, and that didn't inspire me in any way, actually. I was actually... <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> I was at, you know, when some, some actors talk about that sort of moment of, you know, realisation, that epiphany, when they go yeah. to the theatre for the first time, it's like, oh my God, that's, this is what I want to do. It wasn't at all. It was, for us, it was just a... It was just a you know an evening out in London, you know, and it didn't inspire anything with, within me. Um, but I, I sort of started to do, I sort of started to dabble in school plays, and I did a school play, and and you know I got some good feedback from that. But at that point, I was still very much into my table tennis and my schoolwork. My you know I was very much my schoolwork comes first. Yeah. But then I did GCSE drama, as most children do. GCSE drama is like the uh, exams you do when you're about 16 and RSATs, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then I, I was getting A's in GCSE drama and I wasn't getting A's in any other subject. And I suddenly thought, started to think, okay, well, I'm, there, there might be something here. I might be, there, there might be something to explore here. Yeah. And very quickly myself and two, two best friends, Ben and Nick. So we were a trio we started writing lots of plays and silly sketches and creating, you know, quite sort of off the wall characters. And we were, we were a trio really. And I, I and it, we spurred each other on. Um, and I sort of look back on that time and think if I hadn't have known those two guys, I wouldn't be where I am now. You know, it's funny how sort of, you know, you look back on moments in your life yeah. And you think that was a pivotal moment. Meeting those two people was a pivotal moment at totally. that particular time. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, I, I did GCSE drama. I got an A star. It was the only subject I got an A star in. Went to do theatre studies at A-level. Um, and it Was university amazing. always planned for you? Did you? Was that imperative to you? Yeah, I mean, it was always drummed into me from a, you know, I didn't have very long with my dad, but my dad always told me to go to university. Yeah. So there was all, there was never it, it, going to drama school was never an option, simply because I didn't have anyone around me 
to guide me in that direction. And that's no, there's no fault of my mum or my brother or my dad or anyone. Yeah. They just weren't part of that world. I totally relate. It, yeah. It was always, yeah. I mean, it was always go to university, get a degree, get a fallback, you know, that kind of thing. That was always the path I was going to take. So, yeah, I went to, you know, I did A-level theatre studies and I did, um, I did a course called the National Youth Theatre when I was 16, 17 even, which was great. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that, that helped me because I, I didn't have much youth theatre experience. A lot of kids, you know, spend, you know, 10 years of their life doing youth theatre. You know, I was playing table tennis, so I didn't have that body of work behind me. So I needed to get something yeah. behind me in order to be accepted onto a course. Is, is National Youth Theatre part of the National Theatre, like a subset of it or no? Um, no, it's not. It's not actually part of it. It's just, no, it's not. It's a separate entity. Okay. Um, it's still, it still exists now. It's still very prestigious. I mean, at the time, I, I think there was about 5,000 people that would audition and I think they'd take on about 150 or something back in 97. I don't know what it's like now, but um, it was a pretty hard, it was pretty, and, and Nick, my friend, you know, I mentioned to you my friend Nick, who yeah. uh, was also part of the trio. He applied as well and he got in. Oh, so, so you had this insane experience then. Yeah, so the school yeah. the school were just made up, you know, the first two actors in the history of their school to get into the National Youth. You and him were? Yeah, yeah. Wow, dude, that's that was, incredible. That was an awesome experience for me, yeah. And so when you were there, what were you doing? Mostly straight plays or musicals or what no, was it? it was just no, it was it was it was a four-week course. Okay. It was a four-week course um with about 20 other kids in your sort of group and it was nine to nine to five every day and we it sort of accumulated into a uh a devised ensemble performance yeah uh, at the end of the four weeks and um it was i remember my mum saying to me this will either make or break you and you know you'll either leave you know your national youth is wanting more or you'll decide maybe you want to do something else and i think it was you know, I, I, I think it's such a hard profession to get into. Acting. that Acting. Yeah, acting yeah. Is, it's obviously, it's so competitive. It's very easy to be just, oh, God, no. Oh, yeah. There's no way I'm good enough for that. There's no way I'm good enough. No, I couldn't possibly. Who am I to think that I can possibly be paid to pretend to be another person? You know, uh, and, and, and it's, you're, you're surrounded by sort of negativity, not, not in my family, but just tales of the hardship of the, of, of the industry it's it, I had to sort of put that aside and go and I did put all my eggs in one basket and I said no I'm not going to do teaching yeah I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to give this everything that I've got um and see and see how that transpires so beautiful and so when you finished that program how old were you at this point I was 18 okay uh well yeah no I was sort of 17 and a half or so and then I went to university and and um, did a degree in performing arts. You did? Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so what, what was their drama program like? Was it? Well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't what I needed. It wasn't what I needed and it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't um, Arada or, it you know, one of the, Arada, yeah, it wasn't yeah. Manda or yeah. anything like that. It wasn't actor training. It was, it was uh, I think in the first year I spent more time, I had more free time than I did. <laughs> actually in lectures wow. um so can be like that in america as well yeah, yeah 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 i mean in hindsight i wish i had drama training but 
you know, it's, I wouldn't change. You don't anything. need it, bro. You're good. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? I learned, I learned so much. I, you learn so much from books, right? Books and working with great people. Well, no, also, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, if you, if, you know, drama school is a luxury for a lot of people that we take for granted. And yeah, right. if you're lucky yeah. enough to, to get work, some people, their drama school is through the work. And that's so beautiful that that was it for you. So yeah. while you were there, did you feel a, a lack of the fulfillment that you needed? Like, did, was there any, were you writing? Like, what were you doing to kind of get on stage more? Um, I suppose I do. I did lots and lots of, I mean, very early on, I, you know, but when I was about 16, I, I read a book called An Actor Prepares, which I'm sure, you know, every actor knows what that the, book is. Well, do you <laughs> know the name of my podcast is An Actor Despairs? That's the yeah, point. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I read, I read that book in a couple of days and that was, that was very much an epiphany for me. And, you know, I, yeah, I was always sort of searching for a structure to to do this work, to do, to be an actor, and I found it in that book. So was the method? Did that become yeah, something you connected yeah, that with? Became, that became something that I really, really became very uh, fascinated with and infatuated with, and um, I that's where it. I studied. So that's that's awesome. Really, right, I, went, right. I studied at Strasbourg. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, yeah, a friend of mine went to the Moscow Art Theatre. You know, had you know, I was deeply jealous. And yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that play. Yeah, I mean, it's it just everything kind of made sense to me, and that that whole system gave me a structure for the rest of my life, and it supplemented and complemented what I'd already learned from my dad and my table tennis coach because they were two disciplinarians and. Stanislavski was putting down this system of discipline and structure. And I suppose I like structure in my life and discipline and work ethic and dedication and um, applying yourself in every single way that you can as an artist to create truth. Yeah. And, and, and I came, uh, yeah, I, I finished that book and uh, I, did, I, I need to revisit it because I've not touched it for, you know, two decades. Um, but I, I would love to revisit it because it, subconsciously I try to apply as much of his his work into my work today oh it's so beautiful man I love that and I'm curious you know when you were finishing up there did you have a plan for post-grad like what you would maybe do or or were you figuring out as you went no I, I, I very much wanted to get out in the world of work I wanted to give it a go. Um, I had no intention of staying in education any longer. Maybe I should have done, but um, yeah, no, I, I very much wanted to sort of get out there. Really, um, I got an I got an agent when I was quite young. Oh wow! How did how did that? Well, yeah, I mean, when I was about nineteen, my second year at university, I got I, I managed to get an agent, and. I waited six months for my first audition. So I got my first audition, you know, after six months of signing with this agency. And it was for a local theater called a contact theater in Manchester in the North of England, where I studied. I was very excited and I wrote, it was just a open audition. I can't even remember what it was for, but they said, come prepared with a monologue. 
And I thought I will write. I thought I'd write something. I thought I'm going to go the extra mile and I'm going to write something of my own. Yeah. Something utterly original. And so I wrote something and I had props and I had a, a walking stick and I had a few other things. And, uh, <laughs> and I was running late. Um, and I, 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 I basically got run over <laughs> on the way to my first audition. So I ran out from behind a bus and, and there was, so I was crossing a road, a main road, and there was a bus in front of me and I thought, okay, I'm running really late. I'm just going to take a risk and run across the road. Yeah. And yeah, I got whacked. I hit the windscreen, stuffed up the bonnet of the car completely screwed you know i did more damage to the car than it did to me i was fine you know i had a few torn ligaments and uh you know a few nightmares afterwards and uh, you know that that was kind of it really but um i didn't make the audition and a few days later i got a call from my agent saying i don't think this is really working out really is oh it? no i've just been run over i would have yeah. I, I just got run over <laughs> Oh so yeah, God. she believed me. So she really, I don't know whether she believed me or not. Because uh, I got the person. Yeah, because that that's kind of like something you could, one could say if they were bullshitting, but it, yeah, it really right. had. Because yeah. yeah. I got, I got so, someone that actually stopped to give me a blanket to see if I was okay on the road. I got her to call my agent. Wow. So whilst I was on the, on the side of the road, I got her to call me, call my agent. I said, look, get, get, get my phone. It, it's under this, blah, 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 you know, name. Just call them and just tell them what's happened. I am so sorry, dude. Are, are you okay physically now? Yeah, or? physically. Physically, yeah. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was yeah. absolutely fine within a, within a few weeks. But what it taught me was never be late for an audition. Yeah. Be prepared. And since yeah. then, yeah. since then, I have never, I'm always that person who is one hour early for his meeting. I mean, nowadays, obviously, everything's on self-tape. But back in the days where you'd knock on a, Knock on a door. Yeah. Buzz, buzz for the fifth floor. Hi, it's Rudy Darmalingam here. Hi, Rudy. Um, you're a bit early. Could you could you come back in a maybe in about an hour? Because you're an hour. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll I'll just walk around the block. So I just <laughs> walk around the block. <laughs> Dude, but I I love lovely. it. That's so beautiful, <laughs> man. And and you know, man. I mean, it, it, it's a really heavy thing that you know, getting dropped by an agent, you know, at any stage in your career, it fucking sucks. So that happening to you so early, did, did how did you handle that? I was, I mean, I was, yeah, I was pretty gutted really. I mean, you know, I was, I, cause you, you know, as a young actor, you know, you're only, you're only 19 and you, you, you get signed by an agent and you think your career is going to take off pretty quickly, but obviously <laughs> it doesn't all, it doesn't, it very, very, very rarely works like that. But, you know, I picked myself up and um, I started to apply to a few more agents and I got, I got signed with another agent um, who I stayed with for quite some time. And, and that was when I was, so I graduated from university and then I spent the next two years selling conservatories to pay my bills because I didn't have any acting work. I just graduated. So, sorry, what, what is that? Uh, conservatory? So a, conserv so a conservatory. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So in England, in the UK, you have the, they're quite dated now. They don't really make them that much anymore. They're sort of a thing of the eighties, nineties. 
where you have like a glass building on the side of your house. It's like a all. It's, it's called a conservatory. So oh, like a sky room, room is what we call. Yeah, them. Uh, you yeah. call them sky rooms. So it's yeah. all on the back of the house. It's just a glass structure that was quite fashionable in the nineties. Then yeah. they're not now at all. And I had to pay my bills, so I was that person that would call people on the phone and say. Hey, do you want a conservatory kind of thing? We're off. We've just got cold people. calling random people. Cold calling people. Wow. Yeah, as actors all do. We all do yeah. that. I've had loads of call center jobs in between work over the years, and um, yeah, so I did that for two years. And I had this new agent, and they were getting me lots of auditions and uh, lots of theatre auditions, a few bits of TV, and having to try and get the time off from work was was always really difficult because you know. Um, you know, it's hard because they don't understand, often your boss doesn't understand your profession and you get one day's notice to get, yeah. you know, to get, you know, onto the other side of the country kind of thing. So I did that for two years, traveling down from Manchester to London, couldn't afford a train, had to get a bus. The bus would take me seven hours. Um, and the round trip, I'd do that in a day. So that'd be a 14 hour round trip in one day for an audition. And I did that. I did that for a, a long time. <laughs> how did how did you not let that, you know, I mean, transit's hard no matter if it's 30 minutes. How did you have the stamina to keep that up? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, be, I became quite, um, I became quite used to getting on the uh, website and booking the cheap tickets. Yeah. Um, even if it did take seven hours to get, from A to B and that was without the tube so you'd get to London and you'd still have to get halfway across London to get wow. to audition and get back again and because um, I mean a train wasn't even a possibility because I just didn't have the money I was so poor what were you were you reading like how were you killing the time like what yeah, were you said, there was no obviously there, these are the days yeah the you, iPhone didn't no, smartphones, no no laptop well we had laptops but there was no streaming there was nothing yeah. no it was just um me and me and a you know, 50 other, 50 other people in a coach and, and a book, you know, wow. <laughs> and my scripts. <laughs> I remember so once, I do remember once actually, I made that journey and it was for a workshop for a new play. And it was an offer for the workshop. It was only one day. And I was on the bus and I got stuck in traffic. I got stuck in traffic, a huge traffic jam. And I had to call my agent and I said, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to make it. And um, I literally got to London, I don't know, eight, eight and a half, nine hours later, got off the bus, hung around for 10 minutes and then got back on the bus and went back home. Oh my God, man. It was, it was pretty demoralizing. It was, uh, yeah, even thinking about it makes me want to cry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's like PTSD. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was... Um, Speaking of despair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't... It was... I, I, had it, I had it quite hard for many years, really, until I got that big break and things began to change. Well, before we dig in the big break, you know, because the show is called what it is, how did you buoy yourself during that time? Like, you know, when you were struggling, like what kept you showing up, you know, because that's the hardest thing you can do when you're constantly being rejected 5,000 times. Yeah, it's funny because before I 
So all the way up until the point that I graduated, I think I'd sort of got every audition that I went for. So National Youth Theatre, you know, a few school plays, you know, the stuff at university that we did. I don't think I'd ever experienced rejection before as an actor. So I came out of university thinking, well, it's, it's all going to work out. Yeah. Work out. It's just going to happen. It's just going to, success is just going to come to me because, hey, you know, no one said no before. <laughs> and uh, obviously that, that was pretty stupid of me. <laughs> um, so I very, very quickly got used to rejection. Um, and I think, I suppose what kept me going and what keeps me going now is, is the belief in my own ability. Yeah. And, you know, having a strong network around you is really important. I have a very strong network of family around me, which, which keeps me afloat, which I'm very appreciative for. And was your uh, mother supportive during these times? Have you still Yeah, gone? my mum was supportive, but also my wife. You know, my, my wife has been sort of my rock, really, for the yeah. whole experience. And there have been times where I, when I became a parent for the first time, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but when I became a parent for the first time, I'd worked very consistently up until that point. And I just, you know, I thought, hopefully that will continue. And I, the, the, the phone stopped ringing. <laughs> so my son was born and the phone didn't ring for two years. Bizarrely, it was a really, it was a really, it was a pretty dark time for me because I'd just become a father. I had this huge responsibility, and my the work just wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. So I went I, back I, to the I went back to the call center. So anyway, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Let's rewind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're struggling. You're not booking work. What are you going up for at this point? Theater, film, TV. Yeah, so I'm going for, I mean, this was in the early two, the early two noughties where there was no streaming. I mean, it was literally, you know, a handful of TV channels, films and theatre. So, I mean, my, my ambition when I wanted to, be, you know, from the moment I wanted to become an actor was to maybe, you know, do a season of, of plays at the, at the RSC yeah. or get to the National or get to the Royal Court or, you know, I didn't, the idea of doing a soap opera continuing drama was never something that I wanted to do. Um, partly due to the fact there was probably a little bit of, I don't know, um, it wasn't as highly regarded as working at, say, at the RSC for, you know, doing the entire canon for like four or five years or something. That was, that was always my goal, or playing Hamlet. So that was always on the horizon for me that I always strive to do um, amongst... Um, I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, because you didn't attend drama school, where was, how were you working classical out? Like, did you just, because, you know, you grew up there, you, I just you read, myself. really? I just taught myself. I just read a bunch of books on iambic pentameter and I watched a ton of, you know, videos and BBC Shakespeare stuff. I just watched other people do Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, they're doing that. Okay. Right. Cool. Okay. So that's how you do it. Ah, right. Okay. Because I didn't really, I wasn't really taught that at university. Not really, not in any great, great sort of depth. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to do this myself. <laughs> yeah. 
because um, that's what I really want to do. So Shakespeare was always something I really wanted to apply myself to. And so I was auditioning for lots of different things all over the country. And then I got to not much, like, well, basically, I, my very first job was a, um, it was a theatre and education tour, TIE. So where you, I don't know, you, you have this in the States, but you have a troop of actors, like maybe two, like three or four actors yeah. in a van with a set and costumes and sound. Yeah, and it does exist, yeah. Yeah, you can travel around the country from school to school to school to school, you know, giving a presentation with a underlying moral, whether that be don't take drugs or stay at school or, or yeah. don't drink alcohol, or whatever it is. Yeah. So that was my first job. I did that for three months, um, which was, it was fun. I had to do an impression of Scooby-Doo. I had to do an impression of Bart Simpson and, and other sort of popular cultural characters yeah. <laughs> as part of this message. Um, but deep down, it wasn't something that I wanted to do for the long term. And I, and anyway, I got a, eventually, after about two years of just auditioning and selling conservatories, I got a call from my agent saying, you know, do you want to audition for this play? It's called The History Boys. It's the new play by Alan Bennett at The National. They want you to understudy the lead, who was played by Dominic Cooper. Dominic Cooper, Cooper yeah. Yeah. James um, Corden as well, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So I traveled down on my bus, on my seven-hour bus journey <laughs> down to London. Uh, I met Nick Heitner. I met Toby Whale, who was the casting director there at the time. I read. I got back on my bus. And then the next day I got a call saying, they think you're great. They want to see you again. Wow. <laughs> so I went I went the following week, got back on the bus, another seven hours, did the same thing again. I didn't do anything different to what I did last time. Um, and then came, and then, and then actually, as I was leaving the office, Nick Heitner's office, I was in Nick Heitner's office, Nick, the great Nick Heitner, he sort of said to me, and you don't ever, ever get this anymore, because you're very used to actually going into a room and everyone just being very... Yeah, neutral, not giving anything away, whether so, they like it or not. It's it's very much okay. Thank you for coming, and um, yeah, have a nice day. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's that's really all you get. Whereas I sort of left Nick Heitner's office, and Nick just sort of said to me, "I think you've done enough." Wow. And I just went, "Ah, oh, yes, yes, that means I've got it. Yes, yeah. I've, done it. I've done it." And then I got a call saying, "Yeah, you've got the gig." and was, was that the break that you would you would say yeah, it's like yeah yeah it yeah. was it was because actually you know it's and I realised I was very very lucky to get that job because when I got to the national youth when I got to the national theatre on when I started working on History Boys I suddenly realised that everyone had been to drama school yeah and everyone had a pretty good agent. And I, I suddenly thought, okay, I'm pretty lucky to be where I, where I am right now. And I need to raise my game because everyone has been, everyone's been classically trained for three years. Whereas I, I've just sort of read, I've read a few books and, and watched a few videos and, yeah. and did a degree in performing arts, which uh, I had to very quickly um, raise, my, raise my game, yeah. Well, and I'm curious, you know, because I know in, in British, you know, acting, people can really 
they can treat those drama schools as the, 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 the only validation for that. So like when you're going in there with those actors, did they treat you any different for not being at a Rada Lambda old Vic, you know? No, no, not at all. No, no one treated me any differently at all. It was, um, but I was very much a rabbit stuck in headlights. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd never seen a, a theater that big before. I'd never been in a theater that big before. I mean, it was just utterly daunting. Um, it was really, really quite scary. And, but I mean, I was for a year and a half whilst I was doing that job, I was an understudy and I, I never went on. Dominic Cooper was like a robot. I mean, he, nothing could, you know, he would never yeah. take, he never took a, uh, a, a day off. So, um, he was, he was pretty incredible. Uh, but then I did it for a year and a half and, um, I went on, I ended up going on in Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. You transferred to New York, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the actors couldn't perform and Nick said So not me, for Dominic's role, for a different not role. Dominic, no, no, yeah. for a different role. And you know, Nick Nick you know, one of the actors couldn't perform and Nick said to me, Look, I know you don't understudy the role, but I'd I'd really love you to play the part. Uh so I said, Well, yeah, that would be incredible. But this was on the Wednesday and the first preview was on the Friday. So I had one day to learn. learn. I mean, you know, listen, you know, I'd, 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 I'd been through 300 performances. I'd heard 300 performances of it. But it's one thing actually sort of hearing a show and there's another thing actually articulating the words and everything yeah. that goes with a show. It's, you know, the, the logistics, the, the, you know, the orchestral sort of uh, element of Blocking, it. Blocking, you know. It's not in your body. Yeah. It's not in your yeah. body. No, you know, it's all muscle memory, isn't it? So... I went on first night on Broadway, having never done the show before, utterly terrified, thinking, what the hell am I doing? But, you know, you've got to put these, you, you know, it's, it's these moments in life where you have to, you have to take it, don't you? You have to take it and, you know, and, and, and fly with it. Otherwise, yeah. you, you know, you, you sort of face the risk of failing. And it's that risk of failing is something that I... Um, it burned the fire underneath you. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And and going on that Friday, you had no rehearsal, nothing. You just went up and. I think we probably top and tailed it for a couple of hours on the Thursday, perhaps. But we certainly, I certainly didn't get a full run. No, I mean, wow. it, it just wasn't. It, Thursday was the tech. Thursday was the tech. So I probably did. Yeah, it's a long time ago. So I, you know, it was uh, yeah. And, and I did it for two. I did it for two weeks. It was incredible. Wow! How was it? I mean, Friday. Tell me, how did it feel? You know. Well, I remember. I, well, I remember the. Um, I remember opening night. I me- I very very sort of vividly remember opening night, and the curtain came down, and you know we did the curtain call, and then there was just this sort of gang of photographers that descended towards the front of the stage down the center aisle. You couldn't see anything because it was just flash, 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 flash. Couldn't see anything. <laughs> it was just, yeah. And then we got whisked away in a limousine and Joan Rivers was there and, you know, all these, all these people that I'd sort of grown up watching, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it was a moment. Yeah, it was a moment in my, in my career that... Um, I sort of look back on those days when I was selling conservatories and getting run over and 
pushing tables because essentially as an understudy that's all I was doing I was just pushing tables on and off the stage for a year and a half I wasn't doing any acting I was just lifting a table and moving a table into position eight eight shows a week for a year and a half (laughs) but you know I, I yeah it was it was good to finally finally be part of that and was that your first exposure in America as well yeah it was yeah it was my first first time in America yeah so then you know having such an awesome experience did you start to think maybe I should get some American agents as well yeah I, I had a, I had a meeting with her when I was out there I had a meeting with an American agent actually yeah but they wanted me to stay out there they wanted me to stay out there for like a you know another six months or so and by that time I was a bit homesick and you were you're married with a kid at this point well no not at that yeah. point no, oh okay. Way before that, um, but I was, you know, I was a bit homesick, and uh, I, I suppose I wanted to get home. And the idea of spending another six months out in America wasn't away from home wasn't wasn't very appealing. And you know, um, so yeah, I came home, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have just sort of bit the bullet and stayed out there and see what see what occurred. But because um, I came home and I didn't work for six months. <laughs> I thought, you know, you get that what's interesting is you get these moments in your career where you think, this is it. Yeah. This is that moment. This is the moment. It's all going to fly from here. And it never is. No. <laughs> There's really always, isn't. you know, it's, um, it's never as easy as that. And what, you, despite not working, you know, when you, when you were back, were you auditioning for bigger things? No. No, I didn't. I didn't at all. And um, I, I, you know, the work, the work sort of ground to a halt again. And I felt like I was starting from square one all over again. But then, you know, with patience, I think patience is a very big, is a very key thing in this industry as an actor. You you have to, it's very rare for, you know, not everyone can be, you know, Taylor Swift or, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You graduate from university and have, you know, a flurry of agents all want to sign you. And then all of a sudden you've got American rep and, you know, it's, it's, um, everyone wants a piece of you. It's very rare for that to happen. Most, most of us are all jobbing actors, right? 99% of us are all jobbing actors and we go from job to job to job. So, um, yeah, I just went back to the drawing board and started auditioning again. and, And then I spent, yeah, the next sort of 10 years, 15 years, yeah, 10 years. Build, building your credits up on the British classics, yeah. Doctor yeah. Who and all those, you know, BBC. Well, not even, well, yeah, I mean, I did bits of that. I mean, TV and film was never really part of, it was never really something on my radar. I was always, I wanted to do Chekhov and Ibsen and I wanted to do more Shakespeare. I wanted to play Hamlet. I wanted to play Constantine. Well, let's, let's talk about that because you did do Hamlet. Well, I did do Hamlet, but I didn't play Hamlet. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to, I will, I will, I'm going to put this out into the universe now because that's another thing I believe in is writing stuff down and actually sending stuff Manifesting out. Manifesting it. Manifesting it. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you're just floating. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you don't set goals and targets and ambitions for yourself, then you're just sort of floating. Yeah. You're floating existing. No totally. Real, yeah. With no real direction. But if you can actually, you know, if you have a, if you have a sort of a vision in your mind of where you want to go to and, yeah, I want to play Hamlet. And I, 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 I feel like that will happen, hopefully, within, you know. I'm going to make it up. Yes, the coming years. Yeah, man. That would, uh, you, I, would, I would love to see with Hamlet. I mean, 
even though you didn't get to play Hamlet himself, how was it doing such a prestigious production? You know, did it, yeah. did it feel sort of like I, I'm sort of close or n- because it wasn't the role, it didn't really n- scratch the itch. Well, it was, I was at the time of the audition, I was doing a play at the Almeida theater in North London. Um, and it was a production of Oris, the Oristia, um by Aeschylus. And it was an adaptation by Rob Ike, and I'd worked with Rob Ike before. And um, yeah, so it was his adaptation. So I was working on that, and that was a four-hour adaptation. And I was on stage for the entirety of that four hours. So I didn't leave the stage for four hours. So we were in the middle of that run, and it ended up getting Rob the Olivier. It was a, it was a really amazing show and then I got the audition through actually it was in rehearsals I got the audition through for Hamlet yeah and I got Hamlet I got Gild you know for, to, to read for Guildenstern I, I got that I got that which was amazing but it meant that I was I would be rehearsing Hamlet at the same time as performing at Oristia wow for the entire, so Oristai was a six-week Your run. stamina, dude, you need to, like, start a podcast just about stamina. Yeah, yeah. honestly. No, I mean, so Oristai was six weeks. It was a six, seven-week run. And for that entire time, I was rehearsing Hamlet. Now, yeah, I was on stage for four hours. I didn't live in London, and I don't live in London now. It, it would take me two hours to travel home from London. So it would come down at about 11. I'd get home at probably half past one in the morning after a show. And then I'd be up at about half six, six to get a train into London for rehearsals for Hamlet. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But it was, it was, there wasn't, I didn't have time to be tired. Yeah. You know, when you're working that hard, you're so busy and you're enjoying it. And that's the point is that every day for me, whether, you know, I love to be exhausted by, by my work. Yeah. I love to feel utterly drained. So it was, that was a pleasure. I mean, it was a, it was a nightmare for my family because they never saw me. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, But, but it was an utter pleasure and yeah, it was, it was an incredible incredible time we did it for three months and we did yeah how was seeing you know someone who's obviously one of those actors who's been so well received by the world do a role that you love was that was that interesting like going back to learning with you know being in the rooms with those kind of people you know was that you know benedict's great i mean benedict yeah benedict cumberbatch amazing really generous and lovely and talented and he'd be he'd be sort of asking me for advice because he'd be like okay because my, my, my theatre experience at that point was probably vastly bigger than his because he was, you know, he, he was on a, a, on a very different sort of uh, trajectory in terms of, uh, of you know, uh, screen acting. Um, so it was lovely working with him. It was lovely working with Kieran Hines, you know, all these incredible people and, um, and Lindsay Turner, the director. And Lindsay yeah. was, Lindsay was a, a bit of a disciple of, Katie Mitchell, and I don't know if you know Katie, but Katie Mitchell is, I suppose, regarded as one of the greatest 
modern day theatre directors in Europe, really. And and she she's a massive Stanislavski fan, and she bases a lot of her methodology and the way that she rehearses actors on yeah. the works of, of Stanislavski. So Lindsay brought a lot of that into the rehearsal room. So it was in terms of, you know, I, I normally hate all that round table stuff, you know, when you sit around a table yeah. for two weeks just talking. I mean, that's just... Yeah, you ask, want to be performing. Uh, yeah, Of course, ask any actor. Most actors utterly hate it. However, on this experience, I really enjoyed it because we were talking about the principles of Stanislavski in terms of, you know, events and intentions and... Um, you know, motion memory and, and, and units and objectives and breaking things down. It was really, yeah. really technical stuff, but stuff that I grew up learning about, having read a lot of Stanislavski's works. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Beautiful. And and last question before we dig into, into Wakefield, you know, was the split your first like experience doing a series regular on a show? It was my first experience doing a series regular, yeah. So I was in I was in South Africa. I was I was in Cape Town. Doing, no way! Did you guys film at Cape Town Studios? No, no. I was doing I was doing a TV show for BBC called Our Girl. Okay. Um, and we were in Cape Town at the time, and this audition came through from my agent, and I laid down the tape. I did it, and they said that's great, but we'd like you to read for this role instead. So I read for this this other role. I didn't have anyone to read in. You know, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You have to rely on other people being around to, totally. uh, to read with you. Um, in this occasion, I didn't have anyone. So I imagined the lines coming. I, I think I, I've only done this a few on a few occasions. So if anyone's listening to this thinking, oh, maybe that's a good idea, probably don't, don't do this. Always try and get someone to read in with you. But I... I was in a strange country. I had no one around that I knew. No one was available. So I propped up my phone on some cushions and I imagined the lines coming back at me. And I did a, did a tape, laid it down, sent it off. You, know, you, you didn't dub the lines in after? No, no, I just imagined them coming wow. back. Wow. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> I just had them in my head. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, and just reacted, sort of tried to, you know, react as organically as I could and I yeah I got, I got the job and that was my first yeah series regular it was wonderful because I've just done series three actually season three yeah I, I heard yeah and and was that a wonderful experience for you do it finally getting that you know yeah it was great it was it was great but that's another thing as well though because when going back to goals and ambitions and putting you know your 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 targets out there into the universe. I always said to myself, I'll get a series. I'll get one. It's just around the corner. It's just a matter of time. And I kept telling myself that. Man, I need to consume your energy. I'm right there. I often talk to myself. I do every day. <laughs> out loud, not just yeah. in my head. There's no good. There's no good at being in there. Yeah. I think it utterly, I think it's imperative that it, but it's out there. Projected, yeah. It's projected and someone answers that or something or an energy answers that. But I'm not religious, but I do believe in, um, yeah. Energy, yeah. Energy. yeah. Totally, same. Wow, man, thank you. you your story's amazing. <laughs> We're going to have to do a part two, man. Like, I could go for you for hours, but for the <laughs> sake of, of, you know, promoting the wonderful project that, I mean, I think, dude, you're the future, man. I mean, the work you did on this, it is, 
So seismic, but before we dig in the work, how did this project come your way? Yeah, sure. Um, that being Wakefield school- for the for the audience, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry, what did you say, sorry? I, I was just saying, it, it, Wakefield, we're talking about for the audience. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, received, I received the audition through for my agent and I received the Bible, the series Bible, read the series Bible. I was utterly immersed in this world. So you got a lot of info on this one. I got a huge amount of information. Much so was it an more. offer or no 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 it was wow. just an audition. It was just an audition. They they wanted to send out the series Bible and I, I I read it and I was consumed by it and I immediately wanted to do it. But of course I've been in that position before. Yeah. Many occasions where you invest so much of your time and effort and, and creativity into a into an audition over the course of maybe a few months. Sometimes it can range from, you know. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months from the first audition to the fourth or fifth audition. And yeah. by the time the fourth or fifth audition comes around, you are so heavily invested in this project. When you don't get it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for a few days, but then you get over it and you pick yourself up and go again. Yeah. This one, I sort of read the series Bible and I was, I was immediately into it and laid down a tape. And a few weeks later, yeah, they really love you and... Jocelyn Morehouse wanted to have a chat with you over the phone. I had a chat with Jocelyn Morehouse over the phone. Um, then I had a few more tapes. And, um, yeah, yeah, got, got, got the role. And it was, yeah, it was an incredible feeling. It was very much like Andy Dufresne at the end of Shawshank. Yeah, wow. You know, when he's out that in the scene, rain. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I did that. I did that. Yeah. I, did that. Yeah. I did that. I was wow. on my way to my boy from school, and I got a call from my agent, and he said to me, he said to me, Rudy, how are you doing? I said, yeah, I'm good. He said, uh, so it's, it's um, terrible weather out there, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. He said, he said, well, I bet it's much nicer in Australia. Oh, my God, man. And I said, are you joking? No, it's yours. <sighs> you know when there's that one role that you wanted so bad? Yeah. And... It was- it works out. It works out. And um, I just then had to think about learning to tap dance and learning. I was going to say, dude, you're an excellent dancer. Oh, thanks, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really, really kind of you to say. But um, I had to really learn. I had to really, um, yeah, it didn't, it really did not come easy because I'm not a dancer. <laughs> what, what, I mean, speaking of learning, what about the accent? Was that you know, something you had to work at or was that pretty easy? Yeah, I mean, I've always been pretty good with accents. I mean, it's never, I was never worried about the accent at all. I knew that it would be tough, but I was never worried. About, I didn't lose any sleep over it, but the dancing was something that was totally out of my comfort zone because yeah. I'd never done it professionally. The only time I'd done it was when I was at university yeah. and I had to get, I had to pass my first module, dance module, in order to progress to the second year. And I got 40%, which is a pass. 39% is a fail, 40% is yeah. a pass. And I said, thank you so much for passing me. She said, that really, the only reason why I passed you was because I couldn't bear to see you take that exam again. Oh, my God. I was like, thank you. Well, that's fine. I'm totally cool with that. I'm yeah. totally cool with that. And I just wanted to pass it. But then, yeah, so I, it was, I was constantly tapping away on my hotel room floor. You know, I was... Um, I had a lot of... Yeah. I had amazing. I had amazing teacher in Chris Horsey and I had... Tim Newman, also in the UK, who who gave me some some initial lessons, and 
Um, I think it just goes to show that actually, I mean, I remember Tim saying to me, he said to me that what we've done together over the course of six weeks, having obviously the fact that you've never done any dancing before yeah. and how far you've come, he said to me, that is just a testament to the fact that anyone can do anything if they put their minds to it. If you sure. practice hard enough at anything, whether it's playing the guitar, I don't know. Learning French. Learning French, Greek, Greek yeah. whatever. If you practice hard enough and dedicate everything you've got into something that is out of your comfort zone, you can do it. We can all do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, man, I, I, everything you're saying I needed to hear today. So it's like, so, you know, speaking of energy, just divine intervention, man. But yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, at this point, you did have the series Bible. So you get to Australia. Did you have all eight scripts already? No, no, not at all. So they sort of got, uh, uh, I think they got trickle fed. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to remember. I mean, it's, the whole thing was a bit of a blur for me, to be honest, because I had so much to consume. To myself. Yeah. I had so much to learn. I had so, tap dancing. I had to do. I had to learn how to do a tango, I had to do the accent, and I had to go on a pretty epic mental breakdown over the course of eight episodes. So the whole process was pretty discombobulating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the, 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 the episode sort of trickle-fed, and I couldn't really... I remember, I think we were on about episode four, and they said... So oh, did you shoot seven. in order then, or...? Yeah, we shot... Well, we, it was in three blocks, so block one okay. was one... Episodes one, two, and three. Blocks two was four, five, and six, and then block three was seven and eight. So um, we shot sort of not in order, but obviously, yeah. but I mean, it's certainly in block order. But yeah, it was the whole thing was pretty, uh, yeah, discombobulating for lots of reasons. Yeah, there was there was lots of there were lots of similarities with my own life that I identified with with Nick. Um, yeah because I mean I, I experienced some trauma as a child and in hindsight I think the table tennis was it's probably my way of coping with that trauma and your mother's a nurse so did did, yeah. did she help at all well she wasn't a mental health nurse so I mean I I, I, I spoke to a mental health nurse and again I did lots and lots of reading um, yeah. which is part of you know, a big part of my research, but I think ultimately it came down to what was in here instinctively and what I had already percolating and what, and the mental framework that I was able to build. Yeah. Using all that Stanislavski stuff I learned when I was, you know, 16. So yeah, I was, a, I was, a, I was a bit of a mess actually by the end of it. I had to take some time out and, and just recalibrate and, and ground myself again, because I went on a, on a, on a really big journey of, of self-discovery for this act, for this particular character that um, I'd become very um, embroiled in, in, a, in quite a big, quite a big way. Like, I mean, I didn't, if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen, but the view, you know, the listeners, viewers that are, you know, uh, sort of tuning in, you know, it's, he, Nick becomes more and more, distant and isolated and yeah. desolate and he he, he withdrawn he becomes, and withdrawn sure. and yeah. he, loses, he, he doesn't sleep as much and so I sort of try to over six months I tried to limit limit myself to about four or five hours sleep maximum a night because I wanted to just feel yeah. exhausted and I, I wanted to deliberately 
isolate myself from everyone else. I mean, that was great. When when COVID happened, everyone was isolating anyway, so it was perfect. That happened and, during the production? Yeah. yeah, so we got we got shut down at the end of March. Wow. Um, and then we went back in August. So when I went back in August, I quarantined for two weeks in a hotel room, which was... Oh, so you really went through it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was really hard. It was pretty hard, but it was wonderful for the character because I felt um, I was just able to just... Use it build this pressure cooker of emotion uh, at a really critical point in the show. That's amazing. You're so good in it, man. I mean, it's, it's so lived in. So the fact that you say Stanislavski and the way you were, you were approaching the work, it, it shows. And, you know, the thing I love about the piece is that it humanizes both the workers and the patients. And sometimes, you know, often they just focus on the workers or just the patients, but they're both eat, treated as equals here. And that it's so unique in that. And working with this, you know, let's call it a company, so to speak. How was that? You know, because everyone was so, so good, man. Yeah. I mean, everyone was wonderful. You know, I mean, I think that's where some people can think the Stanislavski approach or the method approach can be quite, um, Grueling, insular, yeah, yeah, insular, you know, and yeah. and actually, I think my background in theatre teaches an actor to be um, to be part of an ensemble, and it's a you know it's very much a collaborative process. It's a team, so that yeah. teamwork ethic has always been in me, and I think that when you can marry that with an approach of the intensity of of the system that he set out, I think it's a pretty good combination so for me for me anyway i mean obviously everyone's different um but if you've got a teamwork and an ensemble net ethic and and a, and a really sort of um uh a, a, a sort of a strong mental framework building a character method i think that's a i think that's a good thing where it worked for me anyway and it does continue to work for me and you know we all have our own techniques but yeah Talk to me about the gap, you know, just because of what you had to bring to it. You know, you're doing this. There's a question mark break. Nobody knows when you're going to come yeah. back. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and obviously you have a family and a wife. Was it hard letting go of him for, you know, an indefinite yeah. period of time? Yeah, I think, I don't think there was any doubt in my mind that we would finish the show. Yeah. I think I always knew that we would finish a show but it was a matter of when. And as a result of that, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever let go of the character. I let go of the accent. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't let go. Whilst I was in Australia, I certainly didn't let go of the accent. All I listened to was Australian radio. Yeah. Um, and I already slip into the Australian. I can feel it now, even thinking about it. I'm, I feel like I'm going into, into Aussie. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of managed to, move away from the Australian accent and I I continue to learn to tap dance and continue to, you know, uh, learn my routines that I would have had to have learned later on in the episode. So and later on in the series. So yeah, I mean, that was, that time is tough for everyone. Yeah. Now. I mean, you know, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I, you know, I'm only, I'm only making a TV show. There's bigger things to, in the world to worry about, but, um, it, yeah, everyone was, it, it was a tough time for humanity, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was the darkest, I, I hope to never experience it. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm interested to hear how it's been to see it unravel, you know, not COVID, the show. It aired in Australia, then it aired in the UK, and now it's here. What has it been like seeing it exist on three different fronts? And how have has it been different? Like, what has that been like as an actor? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's it's aired in Australia. It aired in Australia earlier this year. Um, and then it's just recently started airing in the States yeah. on Showtime. It's yet to come to the UK. Oh, okay. I, I, I misread I'm, 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 Yeah, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it does. Um, I don't see why it, why it wouldn't, but um, it's, yeah, it's been wonderful to hear the, the reception of it. Because, you know, when you're doing a TV show, when you're doing a theatre, whatever, you, you never really, you become desensitised to it, don't you? You yeah. never really know what you're doing is, is, is any good or just an utter, yeah. you know pile of trash you don't you just don't know <laughs> particularly when you're auditioning because there's no feedback you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um it was wonderful to get that kind of feedback in australia and um it was just yeah that, i mean the whole thing was just wonderful it's, it was probably i would say it's probably the most professionally satisfying experience of my career and i met i met some people on that job that uh are deeply um uh, are deeply within me and will be deeply within me for the rest of my life. Really, they, um, yeah, very special people. The create the director, Kristen Dunphy, yeah. Sam Meikle, Sam Meikle, Sam Meikle, and the sh- was the showrunner and writer and one of the creators. And and I told Sam things about my life I'd never told anyone. <laughs> I'd only known him for a few months, but Sam and I had this constant, ongoing dialogue about the character and. And he was very well aware of how lots of my life was seeping into this character. It was, it was, a, it was, it was a very cathartic process. That's so beautiful. I love you know, not I. I personally, you know, awards or whatever, but man, you deserve every one of them. And I'm, I'm rooting for you, man. I mean, what you've done with Nick, it's. I mean, I, I identify with him. And I identify with you, and it's really it's just raised the bar so much for me, you know, I mean, your work is outstanding. I think on a macro scale, I mean, it's, it's about something that I feel very deeply about. I think the two, the two big things at the moment are climate change and our our own mental health. (laughs) I think they're the two most important things on a macro and a micro level. And, you know, I think mental health is something, obviously it's, it's becoming more and more popularized and it's becoming more and more sort of, uh, it's, it's becoming less stigmatized than what it yeah. used to be. There's still so much more to be done though. And, you know, it's, I think it's utterly sort of imperative that we all as a, as a, as a race, as humanity begin to actually just admit to the fact that every yeah. single one of us walks that line of sanity every day and we can fall off it at any time, whether that's be through anxiety or depression or, yeah addiction or fears or whatever whatever it is um you know uh, road rage whatever <laughs> you know yeah. we all we all walk that line and we all fall off it and we can all talk about it the worst thing we can do is is not talk about it we need to share it as individuals i think it's a it's it's a bigger comment apart aside from nick's own individual trajectory through the through the um through the series i think it's a much bigger commentary on um, how we can all unify and, and and come together in the fact that we're all we're all suffering. 
we all suffer. Thank you for sharing that, man. I really appreciate that. I'm curious, you know, has your phone been ringing a lot? Because it better fucking be, you know what I mean? Fuck, dude, you're so good. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been ringing a bit, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's a few things that might be materializing, but I've, I've got a TV show out next year uh, called... Can you, um, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can talk about it. It's called Extinction, um, and it's for Sky One, written by Joe Barton, and that's an eight-part um, drama sci-fi thriller um and i mean the funny thing is is that when sam go back to sam meekle the showrunner writer and creator and wakefield one of the creators he said to me what do you want to do next i said to him you know what i'd love to do something that doesn't involve a mental breakdown because i've done three three mental breakdowns in the last three years i've done i played characters with three mental breakdowns so i'm like I'm pretty good at it now. Um, if I need a brown actor to do a mental breakdown, they normally call me. Um. <laughs> well, you know what, dude? I'm going to call Barbara Broccoli and get you in for Bond because they're casting. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, if you could, that would be yeah, amazing. I got you. Um, <laughs> I'll call her right after this. <laughs> I, I said to Sam, you know what? I'd love to do something out of this world. So I'd love to do some kind of sci-fi um, project and, and um, something quite sci-fi came up next and that's exactly what i mean by projecting what you what you what you sort of want or what you're sort of aiming for and uh yeah so extinction is a very a very much a sci-fi thriller which will be out next year it's beautiful it's be great. And, and now that you're taking over the world man is is theater something that's i mean obviously i know you want to do hamlet but is that something you would still consider um i think not at the moment at the moment i'm really enjoying Screen work. Yeah. I love the intimacy. I love the intimacy of doing TV and film. You can't. I, I always found that very difficult to achieve. Playing to two thousand people in a theatre, yeah. night after night, eight shows a week. I found that really difficult. I did it, but I, I, I found trying to get to that depth of truth much more difficult than on screen. So I, I, I'm really enjoying the medium of TV and film at the moment. I'd love to go back to theatre at one stage. Well, when, when you do Hamlet on, on Broadway in the West End, yeah. When I do Hamlet, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the moment, I'm, 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 I'm pretty cool. Are you, are you open to, to doing work in America? Yeah, absolutely. We're, yeah. We're, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, wherever the work takes me, yeah. Yeah, wow, man. Ruth, this has been such an honor, man. I, uh, final question for you, because you've spoken about it, but it's, it's a tough question, and I'm sorry to ask because I know it's very complicated, but I really identify with your journey and I'm in the struggle myself. And I've never heard such immense stamina and persistence from an actor in almost 170 episodes of this show. And we're at a tough time, you know, coming out of a pandemic, still in a pandemic and, you know, work, is scarce for people that haven't worked yet. And, you know, it's a really tough time. And, you know, as we spoke about self tapes of the norm, you can't get seen anymore. And it's that double-edged sword. Nobody, nobody sees you until you've been seen, but you can't get seen. So for the actors listening, any words of wisdom for what kept you going through the darkness? I think what kept me going through the dark times that I've had over my career is, is the is the kind of um, is the ability to just continue to I mean believe in yourself has become a bit of a 
cliche because I, I feel like that's been sort of overused and it's very hard to actually believe in yourself when yeah. you're not being paid to do what you deeply love doing and sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're getting rejection after rejection after rejection you're not getting a meeting that other person is getting the jobs and you're not getting the jobs what is it you know I think I think the most important thing you can do is actually have other things in your life (laughs) apart from acting as well because it's very it can be very easy especially if you don't have the support network, it can be very easy to sort of succumb to this, um, uh, to a very negative energy that has sort of been born from a period of time where you're not getting what you want out of the industry. And that can happen very easily. It happens to all of us. But read stuff that, read read other things, read, just try, and, try to sort of break that um, kind of, tunnel vision of 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 ambition and try and consume your life with other things that you enjoy as well and don't put too much pressure on yourself you know continue to do what you do watch films read plays read about practitioners keep the creative juices flowing and as long as you're doing everything you can when you get when you get a self-tape no matter what it's for well, you're doing everything within your power, within your capability, and you can do that and you can set it aside and go, right, I've done the best I can do there. Yeah. Can't think about, I can't, I can't do anything else apart from send that off and maybe I'll get the job. But if I don't, then that's cool, but I tried my best. And, and I, I, that's, that's, that's really all you can do. And, and keep, keep goal setting and keep talking to yourself. <laughs> Like I do, keep talking to yourself. Like I want to play Hamlet. I want to play Hamlet. Yeah, whatever it is, <laughs> you know. Neighbors might think you're crazy, but you know. Well, we're all crazy. We're artists, man. And we're all crazy. Yeah, Ru- Rudy Darmalinga. I'm. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. I'd love to have you back, especially uh, when it when Extinction comes out. Uh, come on yeah. back and let's break it down, man. Yeah, I feel like it hasn't been enough time, right? No, no, no. Uh, man, I mean, dude, you, you're a legend. I'm just so grateful for your service. And I'm just, I'm proud of you. I'm just so Thank fucking you. proud of you, man. I mean, Thank you. Thank you. take a moment and really, really know that the work you're putting out there is, yeah. it's, it's not only amazing, it's inspiring. And I, nothing but amazing things are going to come your way. And that's a, that's a fucking promise, man. And I, I, I really cherish your, everything that you're doing. Thank you, man. It, it, it's touched me on a deep way and uh, I need that. So before I cry, I love you, dude. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be continued. All right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. To the next time. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.